Welcome to the Vigor Life Podcast, a source of inspiration, lessons, stories, skill sets, mindsets, and strategies to invigorate and expand all areas of your life. Let's go. Hey, what's going on, guys? This is Coach Luca from the Vigor Life Podcast, and today in the studio, we have Nick Lamb. The online sleep coach. The online sleep coach. The online sleep coach. I mean, I, I don't, I don't want to tagline you right that way, right off of that, but, but it's. I mean, here, here's. So we've, we've done um, an episode like where I talked about just how much uh, sleep changed my life, and it's, it sounds so profound, right? But obviously, like I was a, uh, still am a little bit of workaholic, but now I sleep. Um, and I think this conversation comes at a really good time. Honestly, like I, I feel like. Uh, this should be done over and over and over again. It's like we should have you on every every damn year for for forever. Um, but I really what what, I, what really intrigues me is actually you know uh, talking to somebody that does so much of sleep coaching in the real world because it's you know uh, like I, I'm sure that some of you have read certain books whether it's Why We Sleep whether it's Sean Stevenson's book. But then to me, it's always taking that. Uh, you know, the theory and the knowledge and going like, hey, how does exactly. this like when you're working with real people in the real world and you're helping them fix their sleep, which is and we'll talk about all this stuff. But it's, I mean, honestly, like if you don't have that Boss like check. fixed, you are we're, we're, you're going to have some issues. Um, and I think it's such an important, powerful topic. Uh, and like if you took 2020 and like really improved your sleep, I guarantee you like just about everything Every in your life. Facet get, of your life. Uh, improve yeah. In some way, like you'll perform. be a better person. You'll Absolutely. be a nicer person. I can, you know, I can attest to this. I can attest to this. But, man, but just actually, like, I would say, like, it, it, from uh, not to do, like, this uh, any type of boring intro on you, but uh, just kind of, like, fill us in a little bit on, one, like, what do you do, but, like, how you got here, you know, like, yeah. to be, because even like the last time when, um, you know, Nick spoke at, uh, at Joel Jameson's event here at Vigor Ground, and, uh, and I loved what he was talking about and wanted to have him on a show, but I was really intrigued and, like, man, how did, like, how did that you know, come to be, cause it's very rarely like you so, were like, Hey, you know what? I'm going to be a sleep, I'm gonna coach. Be a sleep coach. You yeah, know what I mean? It's not definitely not the kind of thing that I set out exactly. Yep. to do. Um, I kind of fell into it by accident. Um, I, I mean, I think I've been in the strength and conditioning field for like the last eight or nine, eight or nine years. And I think for me, the thing that's always been different is I've always l- looked at things through the lens of health first. I've always mm-hmm. tried to prioritize the things that go into making someone healthy first. Um, I spent a lot of time working in PT uh, clinics. So I spent a lot of time with injury population, like what predisposes someone to injury more so than mm-hmm. um, than something else. Um, and sleep was one of those variables. So sleep was one of those things that I kind of you know, dove into a lot. And then I just became fascinated by it. Like Did, just what? fascinated by this, you know, this idea that you have this one lever that we can pull that really influences, like you said, every single facet of whether it's health, performance, well-being, um, and then even more so, and kind of where my focus is at now, is on the education piece to other coaches and other practitioners, mm-hmm. right? So, um, you know, you kind of touched on it. Sleep requires, in my opinion, just as much of the coaching aspect as, as anything else, right? Absolutely. I think we should be coaching up sleep just like we're coaching up exercise, just like we're mm-hmm. coaching up nutrition. Um, and it really just fascinated me that that wasn't wasn't the case, right? It wasn't being done. There was more education out there on like the science of sleep and less on the the practical, like, hey, this is how you actually coach someone and this is what you do in these situations and, you know, and all but that. You brought something up that, that I wanted to ask you about because you said you were, you know, working kind of like it's in a rehab setting. Mm-hmm. But in, in that, that was a factor. Was that something that you were like, man, like every person is struggling with a lot of these things there's this common variable of for shitty sure. sleep for or sure. lack of sleep or lack of quality sleep. For sure. And you see this across a lot of different spans of whether health or performance. Um, and this continues to come up over and over again is that it ha- it's a bi-directional relationship, right? So 
sleep can impact these things tremendously and no, vice versa, vice versa right? yeah. so when you look yep. at you know pain or injury or Affect sleep rehab the, the the population that i was working with you get instances where when someone is going through rehab that's going to impact their sleep right they're in pain it's much more difficult for them to sleep and then often they get stuck in this perpetuating cycle mm -hmm. where they're not sleeping well and then it becomes chronic and then that just perpetuates their pain and 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 all and, that and so an injury and and kind of like reset i mean well, I, you say like what's the number one cause of injury is previous injury right it's like it kind of creates this cycle this cycle exactly so um yeah so i mean this is this comes back to you know, when it comes to sleep issues becoming chronic, very often it is behavioral in nature. And that's why I think it requires coaching. So mm -hmm. take that example of someone being in pain or someone being in rehab, right? Maybe they had shoulder surgery, um, they had a cuff repair or, or whatever it might be. And then for that, you know, six weeks that they're rehabbing, they're not sleeping well. Um, what ends up making that sleep issue become chronic, where that person now may be dealing with sleep issues for six months to a year, is the behavioral aspect, right? Regardless of what the precipitating factor was, and this can be for any variety of things, things that we all experience in life, right? Whether it's um, a period of increased stress, a new career, um, a loss, anything like that, where we all experience it and it all, it, you know, it's going to affect your sleep and yeah. that's perfectly acceptable, but it's when that sticks around long term. Mm. And I find that thread, common thread over and over again, and it's that behavioral piece, right? So people losing their ability and their confidence and confidence in their ability to sleep, right? Um, and all the behaviors and thoughts that go along with that are really what drive the chronic the chronic mm. sleep cases. That's a great point. I, I don't think actually enough people kind of bring that up, though, right? Because, I mean, if you take, I don't know, let's just take a 10-year period, I mean, let alone less, I think we could probably take an even lesser period, but in a 10-year period, whether, you know, and you're, you're in that phase of high school to college, out of college, going to work, right, right you're going to deal with some some stuff that's either traumatic or it's just going to be a huge change in life, yeah, uh, sure. moving to different, you know, cities, states, countries, Injuries, like something's going to happen that's going to affect your sleep. Sleep in some way, shape, or form. Yeah, it's what you do in that situation mm -hmm. that affects, right? And what what's going to make it stick into a, a perpetuating cycle. And again, this is why, you know, if you look at the statistics of how many people are actually struggling with sleep, you know, the statistics will vary. It can be anywhere from a third of the population to half of the population. But, you know, when you look at the options that are available for those people, right, it's not very usually very practical options. It's either sleeping pills, right, which come with serious health implications, yes. which we could definitely talk about, um, or it's a list of sleep hygiene, right? There's no practical coaching options, especially when it's a behavioral piece. You can't just give someone a list of sleep hygiene and say sleep better, right? We would never <laughs> do that from an exercise standpoint. You wouldn't have someone come in here and, you know, just they want to start exercising. Well, be, like, Here, be like, here's a list, man. Just yeah. go, go have yeah. at it, man. Like, have yeah. a good time, right? You're going to coach them through the, the change. You're going to coach yeah. them through that process. And I think, you know, sleep needs to be viewed pretty similarly. Yeah, I, I think that's a great point. We're kind because we're kind of getting now into this, it's the era of like, hey, sleep. You know how like there was, there's an era of, hey, this is really important, right? And then yeah. that goes from it needs now, to go through phases. It yeah. goes through phases, and then it's like now there's coaching for it, right? Because hey, listen, every single thing is a habit, like, and, and there's exactly. a behavior that we have, and we understand that there's this whole, I would say, behavior change. I would say science of behavior change that we need to understand to instill new habits. But now. I know that when I talk to the people about sleep, it ends up being like, yeah, I need to sleep more. And it's, if you said, well, how are you going to do that? There's no, right? there's no practical well, because, how-to for people. Or, yeah, exactly, or right? Or they'll say like something quick like, oh, I you know, probably got to start getting to sleep 
faster sooner. It'll yeah. be some or like I need like, to eliminate screen time, which don't get me wrong. And like this is, you know, if, if I look at like the hierarchy of things that I focus on with sleep mm-hmm. coaching, the lifestyle factors 100 percent are important, yep. but they're last on my hierarchy. So it's behavioral stuff. Yep. Behavioral stuff is at the at the bottom of the pillar, like the bottom of the pyramid, right? Being the most important, the most foundational. Um, the lifestyle variables, the things that people most spend their time with if they try to address their sleep are the things that I typically will address last, right? I want to make sure the behavioral side of things are addressed first. So and that's get, where people will spend the majority of their focus. Not to say that those things aren't important, mm-hmm. um, but... So give me an example. Like if you're, okay, like we're going to be a little bit generic, but like actually yeah. not even generic, but like let's draw a line through the middle of, of you know, an average of the people that you see how you would approach that change. Now everybody's individual, obviously, sure. but like just, if, you know, uh, kind of condensing it down to the things that you see most often and coach most often and in, in, in what sequences, right? What would you address first? And two, like the thought process behind it, because sure. I think it's important that people know, know why versus just like, oh, okay, well, we're going to do it like this. No, like the why is important behind it. Yeah. So, I mean, I'll, I'll kind of just lay out my, my pillars of sleep mm-hmm. optimization and then like how I got to, got to those and, and why they are the way they are. So the first pillar, and these are in order of hierarchy okay. and this, and I put it this way based on experience. So based on what I've seen, you know, working with people on their, on their sleep. So number one is the behavioral aspect. So the things that fit under this behavioral category are, you know, the goals that people set around their sleep, right? The prioritization around that sleep, um, the triggers that people will have for sleep, right? Like are they spending too much time in bed and not actually sleeping? Are they doing too many things in the bedroom that aren't uh, aren't actually sleep? Um, you know, do they do they prioritize sleep enough? All the things that fit into that. What are their thoughts and perceptions that they have around sleep? A lot of times, people have misconceptions around sleep, mm-hmm. and they they dramatize when they're not getting sleep, and it, it just perpetuates this behavioral cycle. So anything that fits under that behavior bucket and obviously the things that go into behavior change right yep. so blending what we know about sleep with the ever important behavior change and coaching um, the next pillar is the circadian entrainment um, which is just a fancy way of saying everyone has this circadian rhythm right that we've all heard about um, but it's really really important as it pertains to sleep and it's becoming a more evolving field where we're understanding more how it influences other aspects of health and performance as well um, and really the takeaway there is that timing matters um, and with respect to that, everybody has a genetic preference in regard to their rhythm. So yeah. we spend a lot of time helping someone determine what that preference is for them, what their genetic makeup would have them ideally be doing with respect to timing. Mm-hmm. And we try and align as many of those variables up as possible. Um, so that's usually the, the second piece. And then the third piece is stress management. So we look at things through the lens of the autonomic nervous system. Um, you know, if you have someone, another common thread that I see with people is just an overactive sympathetic nervous system. Obviously we see this trend across, <laughs> across fitness, across health and performance, um, all over the place, but it definitely plays a role in sleep as well, where, mm-hmm. you know, we see people getting mistimed spikes in that sympathetic nervous system, especially around the timing of sleep. Um, you even see, you know, when they've looked at cortisol levels of people um, that are insomniacs or dealing with sleep issues, um, you see really an, a spike in cortisol at time of bed or sometimes even in the middle of the night, people that wake up in the middle of the of the night. And a lot of times that will come back to the behavioral side of things, right? Mm-hmm. If someone has these negative thoughts built up around sleep and they've lost their confidence and their ability to generate sleep, if they've been dealing with an issue for a while, um, obviously they're going to get a stress response leading into sleep. Mm-hmm. It becomes this, this big thing where they're, they're dreading going to sleep, right? Because they're dreading, it, they know that they're going to be struggling. They know yeah. it's going to be this, this yep. shitty thing for them. So they, yep. 
you know, are getting these, these stress responses. So anything that we do to, to modulate the autonomic nervous system around the timing of sleep. And then the last pillar um, is the lifestyle variable. So this is your environment, the technology, um, taking a look and making sure things that like caffeine and, and alcohol are not, are not going to be playing a role. Mm -hmm. um, the timing of all those things is really important. Um, and then from a coaching standpoint, you know, it always obviously starts with, with an assessment. So it's a detailed medical history. Um, it's specific questionnaires that look at these variables, whether it's the circadian rhythms, whether it's the behavioral stuff. And it's just like any other aspect of coaching where you're taking that assessment process and you're taking what you get from the person um, and what their goals are, and you're just trying to match you know, what variables do they need to spend the most amount of time focusing on and mm -hmm. coaching them up through that. Mm -hmm. um, and because with sleep coaching, I'm typically not working with someone for all that long. Like you could have someone from a training standpoint that's in here, hopefully, you know, long term. I mean, we've right? had decades. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but with sleep coaching, you know, it, it's typically I'm only working with someone from like four to six sessions. And so a lot of the emphasis is on trying to give them the autonomy, right? To know, especially like sleep loss mitigation. Like what do you do when you don't get a good night's sleep, right? How mm -hmm. do you not make that a dramatic response where it becomes a week and then it becomes a month. And um, so just giving them the tools to succeed with their sleep long-term and know what to do in shitty situations with their, with respect to their mm -hmm. sleep. So I got, man, there's so many follow-up questions right now, <laughs> which is, which is great. But so first of all, like you got, I mean, two, two things that two things that I, I hear and I think are so important. Number one is like the belief part around it, right? Like, belief that sleep is very important obviously like it's exactly. start if you don't believe that there's going to kind of cause some issues and in priority sure. right because if you don't which stems off of the off, of the, belief, off the belief, off the belief exactly. for sure yeah. but i know for a fact like i mean you know that's why i like to actually have people read stuff and now there's enough you know studies out to be like hey you know almost scare you which they should and essentially like into man like you shouldn't fuck around with sleep like that's yeah, and, this is, and that's like, and that's a slippery slope. Like when you think, not to interrupt you, like, but no, you sure. know, when you think about like the behavioral aspects and like these shitty perceptions that people have around sleep, you know, I'm sometimes cautious with like the fear approach. Like, don't get me wrong, it's definitely a tool. For, and for some people, they hear that and they're like, dude, that's like I didn't even realize it was that important. And it like, but it can't be threatened, and, right? and it motivates them more. Yes, yes, but yes. it depend, it's dependent on the person. Just like that's, that's, else. sometimes we're like, you have it'll take them in the complete opposite direction. Mm -hmm. It becomes this like self-fulfilled prophecy where it's like, I, I sleep like shit. I'm going to die in 10 years. It's, it's, you know what? You know? I'm so. glad you brought this up because it's, it's actually such a great coaching point. Cause I just talked and I did a whole podcast on threat, you know, and the, the threat of language, right? If you, right. even if, for instance, you never know who's coming in well, and that's how like, that's pain science. One, it's pain right? science. That's, like, that's exactly. everything that pain science people are talking about. Exactly. Is reducing this perceived threat. Yep, perceived so. threat. That's it. And it's like fight, flight, or freeze. And now somebody might yeah. be motivated by it, but most people that we see are like, you know, subconsciously probably even like, oh shit, you know, wall goes up. I'm like, exactly. you know, commanding language. Hey, I want you to do this. And, sure. you know, it's, it's like, oh, I don't think this is the right gym for me. But same thing in coaching is coaching, right? In yeah. sleep coaching, you see the same thing. Um, now, once, you know, and so that's the first thing. And I think that's kind of like, hopefully the, the, the something they read or something somebody says triggers them to go like, all right, I, I got to fix this. Right. And then again, with the, the coaching, like obviously a big piece of what we do is figuring out what someone's goals are. Right. But mm -hmm. not just stopping there. Like we try to figure out what the deep rooted motiv motivation behind those goals are. Right. What is what the, what's the intrinsic factors that are really driving someone? And then I think it's really valuable from a buy in standpoint to connect sleep to that. So I spend a lot of time doing that. I want to really find out what's important to someone and then 
usually there's some way to connect sleep. We know sleep correlates with everything. So usually there's a way where I can interject it where it's like, mm. like, hey, like, you, you know, you mentioned like you want to be a better, you know, you want to be a better husband and you want to be a better father and you want all these things. Like, you know, not to say that sleep is the end all be all, but like sleep's going to play a role with that. Like you've mm. everyone's seen how sleep impacts your mood. Like you're, yep. you're much more reactive and much more, uh, you're less patient when you don't sleep as well. So it, it, impa- it impacts how you in- interact with the people that you love, right? So yeah. um, I think really connecting it to the things that are important to people too. It's, I think it's <clears throat> super beneficial too. That I mean, you obviously been in a kind of strength and conditioning fitness field for a long time, so you completely get the the coaching the, side. the coaching side and, and so, how difficult it can be sometimes to, oh, to yeah. work with people and work with them on changing their behaviors. The yeah. nice thing that I have working for me with sleep is that you know when you talk about trying to change people's behaviors, I think sleep is probably one of the more pleasant things that people have to change. Like everybody, <laughs> everybody wants to sleep better. So like whereas like someone who's hard. not yeah, especially <laughs> like someone who's not really into exercise, which is a lot of people, like that aspect for them to change is like oh shit man like i gotta i gotta get into the gym like four or five times a week and i or nutrition like people have these connections to to food and and all these things but fortunately like i have working for me that i mean most people just do want to sleep better and it's a a pleasant (laughs) thing for them to like want to improve like hell yeah like i want to improve like i I woke up i I woke up and i felt better more energetic and i didn't have to train or pretty much that's that's what it comes down to now if if you were like once again, like, I mean, obviously when it comes to coaching it's so individual for sure, but you know, if you sat down with most people and you know, you, you get their results, you get that assessment, mm-hmm. um, you know, top three to five things that like, just if, you know, somebody's listening that you've seen the best results with, there are almost maybe some that are kind of like the low hanging fruit, sure. you know, what's the low hanging fruit and maybe something that's a little bit higher hanging fruit. That but people has, might not typically think correct, about. Correct. Yeah, yeah. But move the dial. So under the behavior bucket, something that I spend a lot of time talking about, and people typically, when you address this with them, they don't realize, but people don't have this box checked. It's called stimulus control. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the sleep coaching that I do actually comes from cognitive behavioral therapy. Um, there's a branch of cognitive behavioral therapy that's specifically for insomnia. Um, it's actually been deemed by the American College of Physicians as the first line of treatment for insomnia in place of sleeping pills. And one of the main tenets of things that we address, it's called stimulus control. And basically what this comes down to is trying to keep your bed in your bedroom as powerful of a trigger for sleep and sleep only as possible. And the more that I, you, you talk to people and the more that you see what their environment is and what they're doing around their sleep, people have this way, way off, right? So firstly, they're spending too much time in their bedroom doing mm-hmm. things that aren't sleep. I always tell people only sex and sleep in the bedroom, yep. nothing else. Like don't be doing work in the bedroom. Don't watch TV in the bedroom. Don't do anything in the bedroom that's not sleep, right? Because your brain's very associative. And I think this is something people don't often realize. It's very associative. It's constantly trying to find the path of lethal resistance. And when you map out this bedroom as being a place of, of wakefulness, it quickly it becomes a pattern. It, it yeah. becomes a pattern yeah. real quick. Um, <clears throat> the same goes for your actual bed. So, you know, I always use the analogy of likening it to, to food and to nutrition, right? You wouldn't go and just sit at the table and wait to be, to be hungry, right? You go and sit when you're actually hungry. hungry. So yeah. only go when it's time, time to Technical sleep, bed, yeah. right? And so the, you know, the other aspect of that too is when people are unable to sleep, right? And this is whether you're having trouble falling asleep, you get up in the middle of the night and you're unable to sleep, get out of bed, physically get out of bed. And usually when you tell people this, they're like, like, dude, what are you talking about? Like, you want me to get out of bed and like go do something else? Mm-hmm. But yep. again, exactly association, the patterns and that you're, you're trying to form. And long term, that's the, that's the goal. So I think the stimulus control aspect of behavior is really something I see over and over again and something I, I find myself talking a lot about. And, you know, we already kind of touched on it, but the, the myths and misconceptions that people have around their sleep too, um, people just kind of have this 
negative thought process and this is where the fear comes into play too, mm-hmm. right? So if you if you drill that too much into someone, it becomes this perpetuation of the things that are already driving their sleep issues. Where yep. they may, you know, oh man, if I don't if I don't get sleep tonight, if I don't get eight hours of sleep tonight, I'm so fucked and, tomorrow. And, and that like, automatically and creates stress and exactly. just like perpetuates the actual non-sleep. And you know, and there's plenty of studies and things that will show you. Yes, one night of sleep is important, but it's not the end all be all, and yeah, it's never sure. too late. You can always make up for you know not make up for, but you can always kind of rewrite your, yeah, your story in absolutely. terms of sleep. So, um, I think restructuring the thoughts that people have, and you know, this is sometimes just practicing it with them. I have people like basically write down the things that they have that are thoughts that are negative about sleep. And then we restructure them positive. Like I want you to write it out positively, right? Take that negative, make it a positive and then just practice it yeah. as silly as that sounds like just practice it, whether it's you writing it out, you saying it out loud, you talking about it with someone else, like that becomes your new, your yeah. new reality. You have the ability to change your, your thoughts on that. It's, right? so it's basically like reframe and alter ego effect where you're just like, no, like I'm going to sleep. I mean, first of all, man, is when I sleep great, imagine how, uh, how much more rested I'm going to be, how much more muscle I'm going to put on, whatever, whatever. Exactly. Else it is, yeah. Right? You like, just put things in a positive light. Yeah. Like look at the positive things that sleep does for you as opposed mm-hmm. to focusing on the negative when you don't get it. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the thought restructuring is something I spend a lot of time on. Um, the autonomic nervous system, just trying to dampen someone's arousal system, their sympathetic nervous system down, um, definitely a common thread. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the fact that people really just have no no idea what their preferred circadian rhythm is. Or I shouldn't say, if you're on the extreme of your circadian rhythms, like if you're an extreme uh, night owl or what we call a wolf, you already <laughs> know that, right? If you're, yeah, or if you're I, on the yeah, other side, sure. it's where you're somewhere in the middle um, or where you've had blends of both. So like if you're really a morning person or you're somewhere in the middle, but your job has you functioning as a, as, yeah, a, so, as, okay. a as a wolf. So I think the mismatch between that and then people not really, you know, understanding that timing is important with not only respect to sleep, but like we talked about everything else too. So the timing of when you exercise, the timing of when you eat, right? This is, I think, part of the the story with intermittent fasting and with eating within a specific window, obviously there's a lot of things that will play into that, yeah. stimulating all these cellular mm-hmm. processes. And But I think a big piece of that is because when you're eating in this rhythm, it allows you to have consistency with, you know, when you're eating and, you know, eating at the same times. And, and the body, the reality is that the body likes synchronicity. The body likes rhythm. And the more that you detract from that natural rhythm, you know, the more we see, you know, negative health, health outcomes and the more we see poor uh, more poor sleep. So I think, and like you said, there's definitely individual situations where you see other variables, but those are probably the big, the big ones, the big rocks. And yeah. I, on, on that last one, I really want to kind of dig into this a little bit. So, you know, um, Matthew Walker talks about that. I'm going to like keep this short, but I think it's important about, cause you still, you know, uh, I think social media perpetuates this whole, like, man, you know, get up early. Like if you you can't be successful, if you don't get up, you know, wh- whatever yeah, time. The corporate world the corp- perpetuates that. Absolutely. hundred percent. And I mean, and, and it's how it's been for decades as far as like, you know, the nine to five, right. You start working at nine or yeah. eight. Um, and like, for instance, my whole life I've been a night owl. Right. Yeah. And, but when I started a gym and started in coaching, like close to, you know, 14 years ago now, uh, of course, like the, the model makes you, you know, I, I went from pro sports to, to then like, Hey, you're coaching people super early at five 30. Yeah. People want to train early, yeah, wanna, you, you know? It. And it's like, it's, it's, you got, you know, you kind of got to do it at least that at that point in time, you're building your career. So I, I would legitimately, I mean, and I'm like, 
not necessarily proud to say this, but it's it's taught me a lot. Of, I mean, I slept for three, four hours a night for like six, seven years, right? Like five, yeah. five days a week. Five I know, days we, a week. We, we talked about this. And like yeah, when you change that, I mean, it changed so many, oh, man, so many changed, aspects of your life. So much. Um, now now that I don't, like now, I mean, I, st- I work a lot still, but I don't have to get up like early. And I'm not a, you know, I'm not a five, six a.m. guy, right? Like I get sure. up because because that's my more natural rhythm. And, you know, and Matthew Walker talks about like we genetically have, you know, essentially built in kind of these circadian rhythms where exactly from thousands of years ago where some you know some of the tribes people would stay up late to protect others and so on and some would be up early exactly so there was always someone at watch and so yeah so they come from an evolutionary perspective how do you know because like for instance i do know that i I, like i can still get up early right if i go to sleep early if i go to sleep early if i was like all right you know what luca go to sleep at 10 30 11 get up at uh, you know, six thirty seven, yeah. and and start working earlier. I mean, I, obviously, I still do that if I need to. I got meetings in the mornings and whatnot. But you know, how do you go about? I mean, first of all, if you have a job, like you have to be there, right? But how do you go even about like figuring out? I mean, some somewhat, like I said, I know I'm not. Yeah, if but, you're the extremes, you know, you know, right? Um, there are some resources and things that'll help you. So, you know, another great book, another great resource is The Power of When. It's by mm-hmm. uh, Doctor Michael Bryce. Okay, another uh, doctor. Uh, um, he's called the sleep doctor on any social media platforms. And he talks a lot about these, um, these more, they're called chronotypes, these genetic, mm-hmm. uh, genetic preferences. And he has a quiz actually online. Um, it's called the power of when quiz. If you just Google it, you can find it pretty easily. Um, there's also, um, and that helps you to kind of determine where you stand and you can look, you can be a blend of, of the two a little yeah, bit, I think yeah. too. Um, and then there's other questionnaires. There's the morning eveningness questionnaire that Matthew Walker actually mentions a lot, and that one's been around for a while. So there are some resources out there that can help you kind of pinpoint. Um, and I, I use those. And a lot of times it's just, you know, asking more lifestyle based questions too, of like, hey, like if you were stranded on an island, man, and then like there was no technology and like nothing else around, like, <clears throat> what would you do? Like, what, what would your sleep look like? You know, what would you prefer? And I think sometimes that's like eye opening for people, and they they see that and. You know, look, you have, I always tell people this too, and you mentioned it, you have obligations, you have work, you have, you, you can't, you're not always going to be able to get yeah. exactly in alignment, but I think it's the understanding that that preference exists, mm-hmm. trying to get, even if it's a, a few variables of your life in a little bit better alignment with that, even that small shift makes a, a tremendous difference. And like, you know, there's a difference you're, you know, like you said, you can get up early and your body will always, this is like anything, right? This is like compensation occurring with movement, right? That leads to an injury. Your body's always mm-hmm. going to find a way. To, to get by, but there's a difference between getting by and really thriving. And right? thriving there's a difference yeah. between like, all right, I'm, I'm doing this and like it being optimal. Mm-hmm. And this is like something I try to drill home with a lot of people too, is I'm trying to work with more people, not that are only dealing with sleep issues, but like people that may not just not even realize what their new baseline has been set at. Like people don't even realize what it's like to function at like optimal anymore without needing, you know, caffeine, yeah. like being yeah. reliant on caffeine and like, you know, what it's like to really have that like natural energy and just be like firing on all cylinders. And you know, it's a, uh, I mean, I, I wanted to bring it up too, because I think there's some relief sometimes, right. For, I mean, I, I know for me, like, you know, in a studying sleep, I was like, all right, I'm not all messed up and shit. Right. Like, yeah. Uh, because you start going like, Oh man, should I, should I be waking up? You know, should I flip it all around again and wake up super early? And yeah. right. That it's like, well, no, not necessarily. It, it, there is, we're, we're all different. Exactly. And I think with that, with that genetic preference too, and you know, and Matthew Walker will talk about this a lot, you know, there's the genetic aspect of it. So they discovered this gene, it's called the PER gene. It was the mm. Nobel peace prize in 2017. Yep. It's, it's that genetic component that you really can't change, but environment and lifestyle does play a little bit of role, especially earlier on in life in terms of shaping what that preference is. So, you know, he'll talk a lot about 
him being Matthew Walker, talk a lot about how you can't really change that rhythm. And I think that there's ways that you can manipulate it a little bit. I think you can definitely, yeah, I agree. you know, you can definitely manipulate it. It's definitely influenced by your yeah. lifestyle and your environment. Um, I just think like he's more talking in, in the sense that like if your genetic preference is a night owl, like, like you are, you can't make yourself a, a morning lark. You can't make yeah. yourself that real hard, like morning person who's going to be up at four o'clock every day, like at and their be most sharp and be you know sharp I mean? at yeah. their most productive, like, yeah. Uh, morning larks or lions is the other chronotype name for them. They're doing their best work like early on in the morning. And like, I, you know, I'm assuming you're doing your best and most creative and most productive work like later on in the day. Right. So I think once people realize that too, and like try to do your most important stuff, you know, that's just one aspect of it, but like Mm -hmm. trying to do your most important stuff. Like if you have the opportunity at work to, you know, do meaningless emails on the off time of what your rhythm would be and try to like schedule your meetings and your important things, you know, in line with what your your mm. preference is, even things like that, you're going to see a tremendous difference. And now we're not just talking sleep; we're talking Pro, like productivity, pr- productivity, yeah, yeah, yeah. performance, and um, you know, and all those things. So, yeah, that's a great point because, once again, it's really easy to fall into, you know, you have a lot of people to go like, this is the time everybody should do X, Y, Z, and it's like, well, not for some people. Yeah. Actually, it's a different time, and they're and they're crushing it. Like, I mean, and you obviously you know Joel, and Joel, like if you know Joel, like Joel is kind of like me, right? I mean. It's the only person that, you know, two o'clock at night, he texts he text me and I'm texting. He's, he's responding right back. Yeah. Or, yeah. But you will not reach him at 10 or 11, you know, <laughs> like yeah. a.m. There's no way. Exactly. Um, and, and obviously he's done great stuff. Super and goes, successful. Yeah, super and successful, like, yeah, right? I mean, so, and you, and you, there's a ton of that. And, and that's why I think it's important to, to kind of be a little bit more open-minded to it. And then, you know, look into the research and look into um, things of that nature, right? And so kind of moving from there, because what are, what are some other things that you know, uh, or should I say, what are some things that that people say are very important, but you don't feel are as important when it comes to improving sleep? But uh, but they're held to like a super high pedestal. You know what I mean? Because I, I, I do want to touch on I, I do yeah. want to touch on the sleep meds after yeah, too because it's sure. a big thing. I, but I mean, I think, and don't get me wrong, this is definitely important. But I think, and this is just my opinion, honestly, based on experience, and just I, it's just my opinion. But I think the technology being blamed for all of sleep issues is a little over a little overblown and i think it'd be easy to blame it on modern technology and don't get me wrong it certainly influences but i think part of that is because it's an easier fix mm-hmm. right it's yep. an easier out to be like oh yeah i just i just need to wear blue block glasses or like cut my screen time and like like i'm going to sleep i'm going to sleep <laughs> like a baby and life is good so i think <laughs> I, I think i agree with that <laughs> i mean <laughs> And don't get me wrong, it's it's something I address with, with every client. Like if, if they're spending a lot of time up late on email and like they have a TV in their bedroom and like all those things, we address it because it's important. Um, and there's the studies that will validate that. But I think the reason why it's my last pillar in terms of my hierarchy is that I find if you don't address those other variables first, you just don't get the same improvements, right? Mm-hmm. So if someone has those behavioral aspects, the negative thoughts and the you know, they're not practicing the good stimulus control and all those things we talked about, and they don't know what their circadian rhythm is, and they're super stressed, but they cut their screen time. You're not going to have You're not really going to have a good yeah. night's sleep, yeah. especially not long-term, and a lot of other factors as well. Mm. But So I think that that probably is the thing that, you know, when people talk about sleep in the, the general population world and people are trying to improve it, they really try and focus on the, the technology side of things, and that spend – it's – that's too over overblown. Mm-hmm. And, um, I, and I want to co- come back to that when you said, because, I, I, you know, you were, you were saying some great stuff, so I didn't want to kind of interrupt you on that. But, um, you know, I switched seven, eight years, probably seven, eight years ago 
was the switch where I was like, all right, no TV in the room. Yeah. Right. And and the room did start becoming probably like six years ago where it, it was this like shrine for sleep. That's it I mean, it's like, dude, I'm once I get into bed, like I'm, that's it. I'm that's, out. that's it. That's the only, you know, I mean, I might play some music. To fall, but but the, the point is, is like there's, I'm not doing work there. I'm not watching TV there. I'm not even reading. And I used to, you know, I read a ton and I would read in bed. Even that now I'll be in the living room. Like, okay, I'm done. And it's like, there's Completely. this, this yeah. part of like where I walk and it's not far from the living room to the bedroom, but it's like, now I'm here. Do f- it's, that's yeah, it. You, you know what That's mean? what you want. You want yeah. that bed to be like the only association your, your brain and your body has is like, dude, when my head hits the pillow, like that's, that's game that's over. It. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that's a very, like uh, glad we're, we're come looping back to this because that is probably one of the big things for me personally, that was the biggest improvement. That was that a really that. big improvement for sure. And I mean, look, you cutting out, you know, TV, I think it, it hits a, f- a few different things. So it hits the, you know, the stimulus control aspect, right? It hits the, you keeping your bed and bedroom as a powerful trigger for sleep. You eliminate the technology and all the blue light things that people talk about. And and this is probably pertaining more to like laptops and phones. But like yeah. when we talk about autonomic nervous system and stress, like I think a underestimated piece is like, dude, these devices are anxiety provoking. Like mm-hmm. who knows what email you're going to look at or what social media post you're going to look at like right before sleep. That's just going to trigger some type yeah, it's of not even response. It's not even like the blue light more so than it is. I like think the, it's more the like, the especially extra. when you talk social media. Like, yeah. You Comparisons. Know, comparison. Or, yeah. Like you end up going like right before bed, like feeling like shit about yourself, which is how most people come off of, of social media. Yeah. Um, obviously that's not going to be a, be a good thing at all for, for a good night's sleep. So yeah, that's a great, that's a, that's a great point that it's the, the stuff that you're consuming more so than just not to say it's not important, but it's like, that's probably more of a trigger than it is exactly. like the actual, like if the, you're cutting out the email and the social media and you're only on your phone for like, say the last 15 minutes before bed using calm or headspace. And it's something that helps you feel relaxed. Like, yeah. That's like not going to make blue light aspect is not because you've, you've one, you've, you've made your bed this powerful trigger for sleep and all that. Um, you've dampened down that arousal system, that sympathetic mm-hmm. nervous system and put yourself in a better state of sleep. So like the, 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 five minutes that you may have been getting exposed to blue light, like what's the, you know, what's the trade-off? Yeah. Like what's more important? Yeah. You know? So I think, that's, I, I do think, but if you're spending the time on the phone doing social media, then you're kind of, you're, you're hurting yourself on all, on all counts. For sure. Right? I think it's kind of the equivalent of, you know, I'm taking my subs, but I mean like shit, right. Type of scenario, right. Yeah. I'm taking the right subs, but like, but your, your food is horrible, right? Like, exactly. I think it's kind of one of those things. Actually with, with, with that said, how like the effect of, you know, cause we're both into, you know, and, and, and got into the field, obviously, with training and nutrition, but let's, let's touch on the training aspect. You know, how does training affect both positively and then sometimes where can it affect uh, negatively like sleep? Because there is that too. So we know that we know that exercise improves sleep and sleep quality if the timing is correct. Um, and this is proposed for a few different, a few different reasons. So firstly, exercise increases the accumulation and rate of accumulation of a chemical called adenosine. Um, and yep. this is one of the mechanisms that helps you to sleep. This buildup of a chemical called adenosine. Um, this is how caffeine works. Caffeine works by binding to the receptors in the brain and blocking them from taking in adenosine. So you get a signal for wakefulness and not um, and not uh, and not sleep. But then the longer, but if, if I'm not mistaken, is the longer that that it just hides it. That the adenosine still builds up. So that's why you get a caffeine crash. Correct. Right? correct. Because you, you have the C-more. new adenosine that's built up plus the, the plus shit that the, was left yep, over. Exactly. And you just get this flood of, of adenosine. So yep. so exercise, depending on intensity, exercise works to accumulate this adenosine buildup. Um, the other thing and is the immune system response that we get from 
from ex from exercise, right? So that's the whole point of exercise. We get this immune response that we build up a tolerance to, and that immune response triggers a, a signal and improve quality of sleep. And I think this is something we've all experienced when we're sick as well, right? The mm -hmm. only thing you want to do when you're sick and your immune system is triggered is mm -hmm. sleep, right? Yeah. Your body really needs that. Mm -hmm. So, so we know that exercise improves sleep, not only getting to sleep, but in significantly improves sleep quality um, for those reasons. That's a, that's a powerful thing to, you know, to think about and to, and to just hear also out loud as it improves yeah. sleep and sleep quality. 100%, uh, yeah. Now, on that side of things, too, like when we talk about, you know, too much of anything and like, too you much, know, yeah. obviously what we talked about with Joel, which is, you know, the rise of high intensity training and the, the frequency of it and how it's unsustainable for most people. Now, how does that exactly? Like so it? I think if you look at the research on exercise improving sleep quality, it tends to be moderate intensity exercise mm -hmm. seems to be the, the common um, the common thread. Anything that that stimulates an immune response. So it stimulates an adaptation response, but without going too far. And this is this is exactly what Joel spends a lot of time focusing on and talking about is how do you balance these these yep. things out. So mm -hmm. it, have, it has to definitely be moderate, moderate intensity, I think, to have the best impact on <clears throat> on sleep. The other thing that's important is the timing. So um, I see a lot of your your stories and you're working out at, you know, 11, 12 o'clock. But I think the thing and look, there's it's always better to get your exercise in than not getting it in at all. Yeah, that's the yeah, first that's yeah. the first piece. I never want to say like if the only time you can exercise is late exercise. Mm -hmm. Um, but if exercise is too close, um, and training is too close to bedtime, it's going to have it's adverse effect effects and for yeah, a couple yeah. reasons. Firstly, it's going to elevate your body's core temperature, mm -hmm. um, which one of the things that really signals and cues for good sleep is your core body temperature going, going in the down, opposite yeah. direction, which we mm -hmm. can talk about temperature, um, sure, yeah. as being a really impactful variable that you can use. Um, but it's going to keep your core body temperature elevated for, for a little bit, um, typically a few hours. Um, and the other is it does increase your stress hormones as well. So you get an increase in cortisol and all these things that are going to work against you um, with respect mm -hmm. to sleep. So usually my general rule of thumb is take whatever time you're going to go to bed and you know try to subtract like three to four hours if, if possible. I've been great, by the way. I've moved it down to like 8 p.m. now. Oh, so good. Like, yeah. All right. So you're, big, you're, trend, you're trending. There's a long right distance direction. between before I get like to training. It seemed like for a while it was like, I mean, there's, one, it there's was like the, 12 a.m., 1 a.m. Oh, no, no. We, no. We, man, I went for years training like crazy yeah. times. Um, but... It, it's gotten it's gotten a lot better. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. got a lot better. Yeah. But but with, you know, with that said, so because a couple of things popped to mind, you know, when I'm when I'm uh, when we were talking about this, because I'm thinking about like the combination of you know lifestyle factors and exercise and nutrition uh, when it comes to improving sleep. But I think a really important point is number one is like that's why it's so important to strategize training, right? To be like, hey, like yes, exactly. you might have some high intensity days, but then you got to have some moderate and low intensity days. And like you've how got does you've got to map you've got you to map to, these things out. You have 100%. to map it so out. So like the way Joel maps things out, you know, in terms of like having your your low intensity days and your moderate intensity days and your high intensity days and like planning that accordingly into, your, yep. into your week is, is, is I, I is bring it up because I know that like there's uh you know there's just so many people that and we are just in, in such a this craze of like you know training super hard all the time. You know whether right. that's three, four, five. I mean a lot of people that you know I, I communicate with them. That, that sometimes, you know, would come train at Vigor, and I'm like, okay, great. Well, for what you want and your goals, we're going to go from six days a week of training to three or four. You know, it's like, well, wait a minute. How yeah, am I going to, you know, what, yeah. I can't get better results. And it's like, well, actually, yes, you will. But you, will. Yeah. you have to get them to buy into that. But I think that's why it's important. So if you have problems with sleep, because super high intensity training, man, that's going to, you know, rev up the Paris. I mean, a sympathetic nervous system as well. And then you got all these against you, especially, yes. you know, if you're, if we use like a glass analogy of like, you know, glass completely full with, with stress, like 
you know, if your glass is already close to being full and like this is the thing that, that tips it over, spill. Yep. that makes it, that causes it to spill, you know, I think, and like Joel will talk a lot about too, is like overtraining, right? Mm-hmm. So like when you get in a state of over, overtraining, it's very hard to bring yourself back out yep. of. Um, and this is just like autonomic nervous system in general. Mm-hmm. Like once you're very sympathetic driven and like you've stuck in this perpetual, perpetual cycle, it's really hard to get yourself back I mean, I, I had a le- I had legitimate OTS when I was 17 years old, like overtraining, yeah. like because you know now nowadays people go like I'm overtraining, it's, you're under recovering mo- mostly. Yeah, right? it's not really. Um, I'm talking like real, like full on, like state, I, I, state of overtraining. No, I, I, I was like, I was completely. I mean, like I had to go to the hospital, the whole shebang. It was yeah. <laughs> so I, I learned very early what that means, and it's and it's very 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 serious. But but the it's thing is stuck with you. So oh, it's definitely yeah. stuck with and me. And, and like uh, portraying that to clients. A- absolutely, and, I mean, absolutely, and. And that's the whole kicker, right? The kicker ends up being like, you really got to look at this stuff and go, you know, how do I optimally, I mean, for health and performance and how you feel, you have to look at all those different things, the amount of training you're doing, like the amount of, you know, sleep you're getting and how one uh, affects the other. And I think sometimes if like, if people take a step back and like, you know, if you look at the pillars of what are are important, and this is where I'm trying to bring like sleep more into the forefront. Mm -hmm. So like, if you look, I'm sure everyone's seen like those three pillars of, of, of health and performance is yep. like sleep, yep. exercise and nutrition, yeah, right? Yeah. But like sleep gets put on the back burner. So like if you're doing something from your exercise standpoint that's a detriment to your sleep, like in in some cases it's it's better to like you say take a step back with your exercise. You can always come back and increase your intensity later down the line, but take a step back so that you can improve that quality of sleep and see what that does for every other facet of what you're doing. But, so it's, but it's yeah. trying to bring sleep more level with in regards to importance as regard to exercise, but maybe even tipping it like a little bit. Well, above. because it, it may be the domino. Like for instance, I, I know when I took that, I took a year to like really fix my sleep about yeah. four years ago because I was, you know, I did the blood work. I was like, Holy shit. Like this is horrific. You know? And, and, and uh, a buddy of mine that did that, that's a specialist was like looking at the, my, my hormones and he's like, it's it's unbelievable that you're, you're, functioning, you're functioning the way yeah. that you and are. Sleep is your ultimate hormone regulator. Absolutely, you know. You know. Of your hormones. Yeah. But in that year, uh, and that was the only, like that was truly my my main focus, right? I I trained less, and um, I didn't focus, really change my nutrition. On. To be honest with you, man, every lift went up. I got leaner. Cognitive thinking was improved. Okay. I was in better mood. Like that was the domino, right? So exactly. so you may have to wind back like training actually get stronger, get faster, whatever the hell your goal is, because that was the domino is preventing you from actually, you know, getting that adaptation that you're working yeah, so for. It's, just, right? it's exactly that. It's getting people to value sleep more. And I mean, look, regardless of what your goal is from a physical performance standpoint, like sleep affects every, every variable, Everything, like yeah. strength, like strength output, power output, time to fatigue, aerobic mm-hmm. output, um, every fat motor control, every aspect that we work on with physical performance. Like, so if yeah, you're coaching, you're thinking about this, yeah. like every single variable is influenced by sleep. So like, I think a lot of times, like as coaches and, you know, when we're trying to do things from a training perspective, we're trying to address all of these things individually, which don't get me wrong. We should, we should mm-hmm. teach someone, yeah. um, you know, we should build a, a good aerobic base and we should do all these things, but you have this one lever that you can pull that's going to influence all of those things positively. And if you don't address that with clients or if you're not addressing that for yourself, like, you're missing out on you're missing mm-hmm. the boat like you're missing out on your best you know drug free performance enhancement because it's uh I hear this quite often right like when you when you start kind of laying things out and talking about sleep and you know some people are like well let's work on all the other th- all the all the other stuff and it's like well what if you work on sleep yeah and then, then yeah. work on all the other that's things? the thing yeah. right because it's like okay we're gonna put a lot of effort here to get this much movement or we can do you know put effort here and get like this much movement right because it's exactly. such such of a big dial. 
And with that, man, I, I had a thought right there and I lost it for a second. But, um, oh, the, the, the part of it, too, that I think people don't discuss, and maybe because that's not what's brought to attention, but sleep is such a, you know, big, uh, I would say, for mental and emotional health, right? Because like NREM exactly. and REM, REM sleep. Like REM sleep all, is your emotional it, regulation. It, it, emotional sleep, regulation. Yeah. And you can't, the thing is, is if you cut it out front or back, that you you can't like make that up you know what i mean no. and so it's how it result you resolve a lot of stuff that's happening to you throughout the day emotionally in sleep and if you don't that's where people are like man i'm having anxiety issues and stress issues and i'm, I'm exploding with, you know i got all this stuff going on and you can start to connect the dots there for people so like non-rem sleep which is the the deep non-rapid eye movement yep. sleep if you were to categorize it you could say that that's the physically restorative mm -hmm. for the body and then you could say that REM sleep is the emotionally mentally restorative nice that's a good, so, good breakdown yeah and then you can look at the stages of sleep and the structure throughout the night where in the beginning first half of the night you're getting more non-rapid eye movement sleep and then in the second half of the sleep your second half of the night you're getting more rapid eye movement sleep mm -hmm. so you can start to see where you're shortchanging sleep and where you're not getting it and you start to see that impact those variables right yeah, so great like cardiovascular issues are going to be more prevalent when people are cutting that first half and then the mental health related if they're cutting that second gonna half. Be, if they're going to be cutting the, the second half so yeah. you can you can start to i think it's helpful for people to see like and connect the dots with where you're depriving yourself of sleep mm -hmm. and how that's going to impact that aspect of your health or your performance yeah that's that's a great so. point um from okay so i, I want to touch a little bit on this just because I actually don't, you probably, you may know the stats better, but, um, you know, I've had more and more people mention to me, you know, that they're taking sleeping pills because like I said, right, it's, it's like life gets crazy. And so instantly the thought process is like, I, I can't deal with this. Like, I, I can't add so I much nutrition, exercise and work. Uh, yeah. Like I'm excited. I, I can't go through sleep coaching on top of everything uh, else. Oh, yep, that I'm exactly. Doing. Yeah. Exactly. Right. But so like the couple of things, like one, how much of, I mean, how much of their of of the prescription is there you know what i mean like how like how prevalent is it i guess in, in currently and then also what are these uh you know because i think that's what's really important to bring up is like the negative effects that they, of, that yeah they it's going to give yeah. you this short term maybe relief but like what is it really causing though yeah um so what was the first question again sorry I lost uh, no it's it, the first how, like how how big of a uh, i would oh, say how prevalent are how prevalent is it yeah sleeping pills. so you know, these are the things like, when they do these like long, longitudinal studies or they do these studies and they look at, you know, the prevalence of sleep issues, it can vary. And it's the same thing when you look at like how many, like what percentage of people are actually struggling with sleep. Mm -hmm. But if you look at it, you know, it's the t statistic that I most often use is like half of the population admits to struggling with sleep at least one, uh, you know, one night uh, a week. And then of those people that are struggling with sleep, an estimated 30 to 35% are using sleeping pills. And I think this can definitely vary yeah. um if you look at the incidents i mean how much money companies like ambient are making um i think it's probably even higher it just depends on what statistic you're looking at and what study like what small subset they were actually looking at so i well, think i, I, would I think, think it's probably even more prevalent than well than, yeah because people you, the realize. first thing that you said is 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 the people uh what like if you ask somebody is like how's your sleep right mm -hmm. and i would say that most people that sleep six hours are like pretty good my yeah. sleep's pretty good. I mean, no, one, because they think six is enough, or two... Right. They only think of things and through the lens... This is another problem, too, is that people only look at through the things through the lens of duration. And this is something that I think like society in regards to how they've educated on sleep has done a disservice because mm -hmm. people only look at through things through the lens of quantity. Like, they yeah. view good sleep as, well, I'm getting I've been know, in six bed. hours. Yeah. But exactly that. First of all, being in bed doesn't necessarily mean sleep. So that's mm -hmm. sleep efficiency, right? What percentage of time that you're in bed are you actually asleep? And then, you know, what quality of sleep are you actually are you actually getting? Is it fragmented? Is it 
a good percentage of deep sleep and and that is improving like we're seeing sleep trackers kind of bring people more aware of the stages of sleep mm-hmm. and the importance of um of those things but coming back to the the sleeping pills it's it's a pretty shitty story from a lot of different from ang- a lot of different angles and again you never want <clears throat> to instill fear and you never want to like you know look down on people who are prescribing sleeping pills or who are using them but <clears throat> the first thing to understand with sleeping pills is that in most cases they're sedatives Right. And they're not inducing naturalistic sleep. Yep. So if we were to have you in a sleep lab and we were to, you know, look at your or or myself in a sleep lab and we were to look at what your brain was doing. And this is how we characterize what's going, how we distinguish between sleep stages. Right. What's what's occurring in your brain? What are the brain waves that are occurring? If you were to look at brain waves of someone naturally sleeping versus the brain waves of someone under a sedative, it's different. Right. So we're firstly, firstly, these sleeping pills are not inducing naturalistic sleep. And this is kind of like alcohol fitting into that Same bucket thing, as yep. being a sedative too, right? People use alcohol as a sleep aid. They're like, yeah, man, I, you know, I have a couple glasses of wine and like, and I'm, I'm not out. knocked out. Yeah. Like, yeah. no, no, you're exactly that. You're knocked out. Yeah. Like you're, you're sedated. You're not, yeah. you're not sleeping. So I think that's the first thing for people to, to understand with respect to, um, with sleeping pills. Um, the other thing is that sleeping pills were approved for and tested in much shorter durations so Mm -hmm. when most of the sleeping pills were were tested they were looking at use of them for days and weeks where in most cases you're seeing people using them in higher quantities and you're seeing people use them for months and years and now the story is being worked out a little bit but at the onset we didn't really know what those impacts would be like we don't know how that's really going to impact someone taking those sleeping pills long term and now it's it's again it's a pretty shitty situation but we're seeing like the use of sleeping pills predict all-cause mortality, um, oh, okay. incidences of certain cancers. Um, so it's 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 pretty scary. Like just and controlling for other variables, just the use of sleeping pills, and we see this improve exponentially, right? Or we see this increase uh, correlation, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So you know, the more sleeping pills, the higher that that risk for mortality, wow. the higher risk of of incidence of uh, of disease. So it's it's really scary from that from that vantage point, and then. You know, when we talk about all the things that actually cause sleep issues, it's not really addressing the root cause, right? So very often, you know, people become dependent on sleeping pills. They feel that they can only get by using these sleeping pills. And then when they come off of them, their sleep issues are still there because they didn't address the root cause. And sometimes they're even worse because now they have this dependency yep. and the cycle. So, you know, call it rebound insomnia. They come off the sleeping pills and it's even um, it's even it's worse. Even worse yeah. um, so again, from a, <clears throat> no matter what kind of angle you, you look at, it's uh it's pretty shitty so i think that's part of why like american college of physicians is trying to deter people from um you know doctors from prescribing sleeping pills and trying to give people the option of more behavioral means but because a lot of people aren't coaching it up and because there's not a lot of therapists that are doing cognitive behavioral for therapy for insomnia there's just not a lot of options for people Mm -hmm. so doctors are left with no other option and the people are left with no other option like dude I, i like i can't go try and find some coach that doesn't exist somewhere. Just give me the sleeping pills and let me sleep and it's, better. And it's, I mean, it's assuming that just like anything else, there is a correlation or should I say a connection to the person going like, if I take the sleeping pill, I'll sleep tonight, you know, or tomorrow or, or like right away. It's the immediate. Yeah, like the people want, people it, want you know immediate I mean? yeah. results. That's yeah. with any, that's just human nature. Right. So, but it's, but, but I, I do think it's important that you bring like out up all the different issues because once again, right? Like, yeah, there's an immediacy of it, but that's how you you're just gonna feel like you're getting good sleep, but you're really not, and it's really gonna add up over time, and that's gonna be a problem for you. Exactly. Yeah. So that you have to play the long game when you're looking at at sleep. So this is like 
for example, when we talk about like people sleeping in on the weekends, like it always feels good in the immediate. But if you're playing the long game and the goal is to set yourself up for long term sleep success, probably shouldn't do that. Right. So yeah. it's same same thing. You have to look at you have to play the long game. You want to be around a long time and be healthy and, you know, and and, uh, you know, and thrive long term. You have to look at things through that lens. And, and what are some standards, though? I mean, like, you know, this has been thrown around a lot, but, you know, from from your perspective and obviously the research, we hear a lot of things like, you know, eight, eight hours, like everybody should shoot for eight hours or maybe even more of quality sleep. And then also, you know, would, would you agree with it? I mean, I'm always like if, if somebody's sleeping four, let's get them to five. You know what I mean? Yeah, That's a win. Let's just get, trend the needle in the yeah, right direction. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but then also like on the side of like naps or you brought up, you know, <clears> I, I like that you brought up because I do know a lot of people like, you know, the week is crazy. They don't get quality sleep. They don't get good sleep. And it's like, ah, oh, thank you know. And I even thank have God somebody the, says it right. Thank like, God, it's the weekend. Like, yeah, exactly. And it's sleep. like, hey man, you come into the eight a.m. you know team training. It's like, nah, man, man, I'd I'm love sleep, to, I'm but I'm a, I'm sleeping a eleven yeah. hour right. Like, and that's like, that's the person who just has so much sleep debt built up that mm-hmm. that's why they need need that. So they need to like take a step back and look at what's occurring during the, the week. The like, bigger they need picture to game. really look at the whole picture in terms of in terms of sleep. Because if you're at that point, like. You know, you ask like, what are your what are your metrics? Like, how do you look at things? And there's objective data that you can look at. You can be in a sleep lab. You can look at heart rate yeah. variability. You can look at biomarkers. You can look at all these things. But a lot of times, it's just the subjective. Like, hey, like, do you wake up feeling rested? Like, do you need caffeine to fuel your day? Like, mm-hmm. do you crave naps more in the middle of the day? Like, do you feel like you need to wake up uh, to make up for sleep on the weekends? Like, if you're answering yes to any or all of those things, like, we need yeah, to we need it, to yeah. dive in on this. Like, yeah. Um, so I think a lot of times it's, you know, the, it's the subjective stuff that's even more powerful. And people connect to that, too. Like, what's your energy levels? What's your focus? Um, you know, when people start to look at all of those things, I think those are the, the biggest um, drivers in terms of what we should be would be tracking. Yeah. And I mean, I track a lot of things in my sleep coaching process. I'll use a diary sometimes and, you know, to try and get an idea of what someone's sleep efficiency is and, and all of these things. How much how much do you use, um, <clears throat> all, like, sleep trackable trackers. software stuff? Yeah. So this is the... This is where I like it, it. It's more like controversial for me, like on a coaching side, is it really depends, just like anything, right? Um, but if I'm dealing with someone who has a chronic sleep issue and they have been dealing with that issue for a while, typically at the onset, I'm not using sleep trackers for the, all the reasons we talked about. Yep. They promote more anxiety. <clears throat> someone may now has this number that they're striving to get, and if they don't get it, they're like, oh shit, man, like I, I suck. Like, or my, my buddy that's like literally every night he was like, I mean, he, and he had a lot of. I think uh, he just got a CPAP machine, which hopefully is going to help with a bunch of stuff, but then had hip replacement. So there's a number of issues. So yeah, ap- apnea. But, but, so like but we then, could talk about apnea. Apnea has its own. Yeah, I would love to touch of, on that. I um, would love to touch on that, actually. Um, but but it was like, you know, we're we're at an event and he's like, dude, zero minutes of deep sleep, you know? And it, exactly. Now, so, I, so <laughs> yeah, I mean, with, with that, like, I think, and they've come a long way, like the sleep trackers have come a long way and they, they continue to improve. Um, where they're getting a little bit more accurate, but they're not entirely accurate with respect to like really distinguishing between stages. They're pretty good at estimating like sleep duration and efficiency. Um, but when you start when you start to get into like really distinguishing, um, they're consistently inaccurate, right? Yeah. So I think that's important. So this comes down to like the positive of sleep trackers, and they definitely have a use case mm-hmm. um, in the sense that they provide a lot more awareness 
to people for sleep. Yep. So for the right person who's not dealing with a real behavioral-based sleep issue, I think sleep trackers are great because they're doing all the things that we talk about in terms of bringing awareness to like, hey, this is how working out late impacts your sleep. This is mm-hmm. how your stress is impacting your sleep. Um, so I think from the awareness side of things, it's really, really beneficial. Yep. And just in general, more people are getting aura rings and they're tracking it on their Fitbit. And so it's getting more people talking about sleep and prioritizing sleep. So I think with that respect, it's awesome. But in the coaching world, I think you just it just has to it has to be the right right situation to be to be using it. Yep. Okay. Great point. Because that uh, man, like this, it was up before we get to the CPAP. But um, I I think once again on that side of things, you know, n- now what what I'm seeing a lot of you know with clients with stuff like that is once again it's like there's the tracking. But then the question becomes like, okay, cool. Like, what are you doing? What are you doing? Well, this is the whole problem with like heart rate variability in general, right? It's like you get this like amazing data that correlates with so many things, but like you need the practical like recovery tools. Like, and Joel Mm -hmm. does talk about this too. Like, like you need the things that you have as a menu of things that you can do. And the same applies to sleep. So, like, all right, this is what you do when, you know, you may not be getting as much deep sleep or you. Mm -hmm. So, you have to have those things in in place. Like, yeah, yeah. Completely agree. Right. Versus, versus just being able to say like, hey, it's, it's not great. But I didn't like, get deep sleep last yeah. night. Like, cool. You know, I'm just gonna dude, go about dude. my day. And yeah, like, exactly. That's, that's it. But go go to, go to point B, right? Yeah. But um, <clears throat> now on a, yeah. Because, see, I've had like um throughout my life, and some of it was, and actually, I I would definitely love your input on this one. But um, you know, super high stress times, uh, didn't sleep as much. You know, those those years of uh where I was sleeping like three four hours a night. Sure. And. You know, and I'm not like because there's a correlation to obviously like obesity and, and sleep apnea. Um, but man, I, I had like periods, like long, long periods where I would wake up in the middle of the night. Now, because a lot of times you might wake like, up and like not gasp, know it. Gasping for air. Oh man, like, like I was drowning. I'd be, I'd be afraid yeah. to go back to sleep. Actually, so you um, probably did have like a, a mild, a mild incidence of obstructive sleep apnea. So you have two types of sleep apnea. Mm-hmm. You have obstructive sleep apnea, which is the more common, and that's like a restricted airway. Yeah. And then you have central sleep apnea, which they still don't really know. Um, it's it's caused by some other medical related condition. Mm-hmm. And they still haven't really kind of figured out what that what that is. It's less common, um, but the obstructive sleep apnea for anyone who doesn't know, basically it's a cessation of breathing, um, and typically in the middle of the night. So people who have severe sleep apnea, you're getting cessation of breathing or stopping breathing for like up to 50, 60 times a night um, yeah. for people that have the extreme of that. So obviously, you know intuitively we know that's not not a not a good thing right you're you're causing a state of hypoxia where you're not getting enough blood to your brain and and that's why we see it correlate so strongly with a host of diseases and and there's probably nothing more um more strong of a relationship than when we talk about sleep apnea um i think it's you know the latest again this the statistics depend on what study you actually look at but where it's like you're five times more likely to have a heart attack or you know um be four times more likely to develop a chronic disease and like it's it's pretty significant uh pretty significant numbers and what's even more scary with respect to sleep apnea is about 80 percent an estimated 80 percent is going undiagnosed Um, and this comes down to like people having mild cases of it and not even realizing it because snoring has become the norm Um, and we all have you know if you snore for a period of a few nights because you have a cold or you're a little congested or you know you're in a new uh new environment like maybe uh you're above sea level or whatever it is right we all have those periods where you will snore but if you're a chronic snorer you should probably get a sleep study done to make sure that it's not apnea Mm -hmm. um for all the reasons that we we mentioned so i think if there's a a big takeaway with that it's snoring is not normal so like whether it's either for yourself or clients so if you're Mm -hmm. snoring and you have a spouse that's telling you you're snoring for a long time 
you know, that's not you get uh, it checked out. Get it checked out. Yeah, not, I, I it's mean, potentially life saving. I mean, I, I mean th- th- that's very very powerful point because I even ask it for myself, like because I don't have that anymore now. And you know, you brought up subjective points, which I think are really really important, right? That people go like, hey, are you? It's not normal to wake up every day and be exhausted, for instance, right? Exactly. Like, um, and tired and have low energy and all these different things and libido and, right? And like, mine has been been improved, but like, I also like, you know, what I did for a while too was apart from like the, the trackers and stuff was uh, the thing that would record you in your sleep. So if you you were sleep walk, sleep talking and stuff, which oh, I definitely would, do sometimes. Yes, yeah, so you would hear the snoring or the exactly. Yeah. So I'll just you know just do that. So you I wake did. up the next morning, you're like, oh shit, man. Yeah. I sound like, I sound <laughs> like a monster. Yeah. You know what I mean? like yeah. <laughs> this is me. But um, but you know, I I did it too, just because I was like, all right, man, I I want to see if I do have all these instances of of you know waking up and and um. You know, kind of like where I, where I would hear them. I'm like not stopping breathing, right? We're snoring yeah, and stuff. Exactly. And it was, you know, when I, for for the while I was tracking it, like I, you know, I'd snore here and there, but it wasn't. It didn't feel like it was too much. But the the reason I bring it up is because you said, you know, 80 percent of it goes kind of like undiagnosed. Undiagnosed right. is it that it's better to be to be cautious because I have like a very very deviated septum, like massively deviated left septum. So that might, you know, 2020, my goal is to get a surgery to get that sure. cleared up because yeah, that I mean, could be there's a, there's there's you know. Uh, biomechanical reasons why that, that, that can, can exist. Yeah, so, exactly, like, yeah. you know, like obviously breathing is a buzz in, in in fitness. So, like when I do, you know, in my sleep course, I cover, you know, I cover breathing a pretty significant amount. Like, because you should be looking at breathing from a structural standpoint. Sure. Because sometimes it's just that people can't get into good optimal position mm-hmm. to breathe, and then you know that manifests while they're while they're sleeping. So you definitely want to screen those things out um, first as well. Um, but I think it's the incidences of where it's a real chronic issue and people yeah. are, you know, snoring a lot more. And, and, and I, I think that, you know, because you, you kind of built that pyramid right from the get-go, is like looking at these behaviors. And I, you kind of want to go, I mean, like in coaching and anything, whether it's nutrition or training or, or, or when it comes to sleep, that you go on, okay, well, let's address all these different things. Right. And most of the time when you address them, it improves everything kind of else, right? Like it snowballs. Exactly. Um, because that's the other thing I've seen sometimes too that people have things that they're struggling with, and it goes like straight, you know, fuck, let me go, uh, you know, let me go to the doctor, the lab, get the pills, whatever. Versus, hey, how about address some things, and then they see positive results and, and feedback. You, you restore, you, they restore their confidence and their ability to to sleep. Like one of the one of the methods in in the toolbox for cognitive behavioral therapy, and this is not one that I use. Um, very often and I wouldn't really use unless I'm working like in conjunction with another medical provider because I'm not a medical provider. Yeah. Um, you have to be careful when you're depriving someone of sleep, but is it's called sleep restriction. And it's the idea that at the onset, as counterintuitive as it sounds, but if you're restricting someone's sleep, um, you know, like I want you to go to bed even two hours later, they get, remember that's adenosine that we talked about, that sleep pressure that it builds up. Building up yeah. You just get such an intense amount of the sleep pressure that they just have no option but to sleep. They just fall asleep and they get a deeper sleep and it just they wake up the next day and they're like, all right, I, I did it. Like, I got a good night's sleep. I can do that. Yeah. Right. And they do that for a few nights. And it really starts to, like you said, mm. snowball things in the right direction of like, all right. I mean, I'm perfectly capable of generating good sleep. I just did it a few nights and it kind of helps with that, those behaviors and those thoughts. Interesting. Yeah. I think I followed that one for like a long time. <laughs> Un- unintentionally. <laughs> unintentionally. Yeah. Like yeah. learned that the Where hard you're just way. Just like completely fall asleep. Oh. You have no no other choice. Hell yeah. <clears throat> it. Is there any like just some stuff that like maybe is um, that comes to mind that you're like, man, if, if, if you could share with people that you feel are important things about sleep, misconceptions about sleep um, that just pop up, you know, that as you do sleep coaching, you're like, man, like these, these are some things I didn't know that people didn't know yeah. or wow, like 
there are some things that people tell me about sleep that they were completely wrong about. Yeah. You know, there were there were big things that, that pop up to mind. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I think from the from the standpoint of like the general population or just like anyone trying to look at improving their sleep, it's it's two part. Firstly, it's understanding how important it really is and like all the things that we talked about like it's really trying to prioritize just how important it is for every single facet of your of your life but with that being said on the on the converse right not trying to instill fear this is something i get from people a lot is you know my sleep is doomed and like i haven't slept well for the last like three months so you know i'm screwed like i lost out on all that sleep and while you can't make up for sleep and this is something that you know, you see the quote for a lot, like you can't make up, it's not like the bank, you can't, you know, you can't repay sleep. And while that's true, they're talking about on a night by night basis, you can't get back the potential benefits from that night of sleep, but it's never too late. And, you know, when you look at the biomarkers of things that we associate with sleep, um, and different physiological markers, when people optimize their sleep, you know, within even a few weeks, we start to see these things normalize. So it's Mm -hmm. never, it's never too late for you to, um, to improve. It's not going to, cr- like, basically, I mean, it's even like, like my, my test levels when I made within three months, you know, they, they yeah. tripled. I mean, like, exactly. you know, it's, and, and it's like, like anything else. Like if you haven't yeah. been exercising your whole life, doesn't mean that you shouldn't start exercising yeah. now. So it's, I think there's that misconception. Um, so it's never, never too late to make those, uh, those sleep in, improvements. So it's the connecting of how important it is. And then, you know, um, understanding that there's always there's always a room for improvement and you can always kind of work yourself back. And then from the coaching side of things, so whether you're a, you know, a strength coach, a personal trainer, a health coach, massage therapist, even like fit, uh, physical therapist, um, and that's the population I've spent a lot of time working with and working in conjunction with, is like, dude, it's a variable you gotta, you gotta be looking at. And like, you don't have to take as deep of a dive as me um, necessarily. And you don't have to necessarily be doing sleep coaching as an ad, as a separate service, but it should be an adjunct and a pretty significant adjunct piece to what you're, what you're doing. Yeah. If you really want to get the optimal results, you got to check that box. Yeah. So like I'm putting together a, a course on sleep and it's all things sleep, all things sleep coaching. Um, and it can be for someone who wants to do what I do and coach people up on sleep and make it a separate service. But it's also just for you to allow yourself the opportunity to just understand that. Just to have a process. better skill set to, you know, to like, I would say like the, the use cases, you can either do it as a separate coaching or what I would often do like with training clients is I would do like a 30 minute sleep consultation at the onset of working with someone just to make sure that that, that box is checked and that it's not slipping through the cracks. And I think a lot of trainers and coaches are doing this with respect to nutrition. Like everyone, you know, has gone and done either precision nutrition or they've gone and done something else to learn more about nutrition, mm-hmm. um, not to be a nutritionist, but to understand that aspect and be able to at least help clients with uh, with that aspect. And I think there should be more emphasis on that when it comes to sleep. I think we should be looking at it the same way. Fant- fantastic point because it, it, it kind of gels into uh, what Berardi talks about in Changemaker, which I'm a huge, you know, I would say proponent of that thought process, which is exactly. that like we're essentially concierges, right? And like while you may not uh, have to dive super deep into, you know, I'm not going to try to be a physical therapist. I'm not going right. to try to You don't have to be the content expert cool. in everything. Absolutely and You not. know your scope. But yep. But you want to be able to look at things through as many lenses as possible. And, like, you know, the sleep fits right into that. And it fits into, like, the things that, like, John Berardi does really well, which is, like, hey, I took the science of nutrition, but mm-hmm. then I blended it with what we know about coaching and what we know about behavior change, and this is how you put it in a construct. So, like, I'm just trying to get people to do the same thing from a, a sleep perspective just because we know yeah. how important it really is. And so. I think that's a, actually, I don't know if you have <clears throat> a, a, a site up yet for that, hopefully. Otherwise, I mean... Send it to me in the show notes where the sleep course is. Yeah, I do. So uh, it's sleepcoachcourse.com. Oh, sleep. um, okay, it'll be simple. all online. I'm hoping to do it uh, 
hoping to launch it if not like mid to late January then in okay. February I'm pretty close um, in terms of like the content creation I'm just kind of organizing it all together awesome. um, I'm also doing in conjunction with that um, and I have a couple lined up I'm doing one day workshops um, and they can kind of be supplemental to the uh, to the online course or they can be replaced especially for someone who doesn't want to take as deep of a dive mm-hmm. you know it's a one day workshop where we just kind of cover all bases in terms of anatomy and physiology of sleep assessment coaching um, coaching awesome. from A to Z special populations special situations what you do um, so I got one uh, coming up in February in New York um, and then one in Costa Rica in uh, in April um, so yeah we'll talk we'll talk about doing one that one here I think this, yeah, I, no, think, I, I think this is great for uh, just people and all coaches but um, and we'll put that in the show notes as well actually where where can people find out more about you and uh, and get some more of this f- phenomenal yeah, knowledge so I I go by the like as you said at the onset I go by the online sleep coach um, so you can find me on all social media platforms as the online sleep coach on Instagram it's the online sleep coach one word um, on Instagram it's uh, on Facebook it's just online sleep coach um, website is onlinesleepcoach.com. So yeah, through any of those any of those means, um, whether it's from a coaching standpoint or you just want to talk a little more about sleep, I'm always happy to answer questions awesome, and man. kind of talk shop. So this has been fantastic and insightful, and awesome, I'm man. I'm so glad that I brought you on the show, man, because this is and and it was definitely the right timing. So you guys, I mean, obviously check out you know check out Nick, like deep dive into this stuff. Um, I think you know I'm I'm instantly like, uh, and I've been a big proponent of learning about sleep, but. To, you know, from people that are really, really doing this in the real world and, and coaching, I think it's so important. Uh, make it a priority. Believe that it's that important because it really is. And as always, guys, share this. You know, anytime you can leave the review, um, honest review, five stars. You know, we get this around. More people hear it. More people can make a difference and make a change. Uh, so do with that. But like Coach Lucas out. I'll see you in the next video live podcast. Peace out.